Now wait a minute. Who are you supposed to be? I'm incompetence. Uh, this sounds about right. <laughs> I thought that was my name. Shoot. I gotta get a I gotta need a title. Hold no, on. No, your boy Blunder. That's that's your nickname. But I'm I'm obviously past the age of being a boy. I'm I've I've gotten past that point. Boy like four years Blunder. Ago. Boy Blunder. Mi- it's nah, Mr. I want Blunder you to call now. me Blunder Man from now on. <laughs> Blunder Man. <laughs> Red Blunder for going by the uh, the 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 Robin naming convention. Yes. Because Tim Drake has that whole Red Robin thing, and I'm surprised that wasn't a uh, copyright infringement. Red Robin, young. Please advertise exactly. Well, surprise, surprise, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's another episode of the Inciting Moment podcast. My name is Ian, your host. Who else here is with me? Hi, I'm Sam, and another victim of the incompetent one. And I am Harrison. Blunder boy, I mean man... Mr. Blunder. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who have been keeping up with our usual discussions, surprise, surprise, it's another day where uh, Warner Brothers just... Oh, they, they, they keep surprising us. They keep surprising us with these, like, just fucking silly decisions. Ian, namely with their her- DC stuff. Ian, correction, they're surprising you. I, myself, am not surprised, and I can't wait for them to cancel more stuff. It's funny. Oh, I get you. Well, what we're talking about today is uh, technically old news. Technically old news. Uh, This was something that came out roughly around the end of October. Uh, Something that went completely under the radar for me. Um, But finding it... I feel like it's worth discussing because there's a lot of a lot of parallels with some of the Twitter kerfuffling that we were talking about recently with large buyouts of other companies uh, causing the buyer to uh, rethink their marketing strategies and, and whatnot. But in this case, it's more on content. It's more on filmmaking. More specifically, the cancellation for tax write-offs in regards to filmmaking. And uh, what we're talking about (laughs) is Warner Brothers Discovery canceling $2 billion plus in write-downs on content, which ranges from shows to movies. What I found so interesting was... This is not the first time that we heard about them doing that, because for those of you who may have heard the Batgirl movie, uh, which was also supposed to have uh, the iconic Michael Keaton comeback as Batman, yeah, that was canceled. Uh, It was canceled because uh, Warner Brothers thought that it was too expensive for streaming services to really make back money, and it was too underwhelming for theaters to really make back any money so they canceled it and had it put down for a tax write-off and when i heard that i thought well i don't know about that that just sounds like they're getting cold feet and don't have any confidence in their you know their property and once again showing that they didn't really have a good idea of what they wanted to do going into the movie so they just decide oh well you know scrap it whatever and i thought that was the end of it but no, here we are. <laughs> I mean, just that alone is such a ballsy move. Literally uh-huh. coming in as the new CEO saying, yeah, no, this movie sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's done. It's finished. But, like, it sucks. So we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, at least attempt to make money off it the best we can. And, and I mean, that's even with Michael Keaton back as Batman as well. Yeah, it's just, I mean, say what you <laughs> want about the guy, but at least he's trying to make changes, even if it's, you know changing path towards a cliff yeah and they also uh they also axed wonder woman 3 oh <laughs> okay well well to be fair to be fair that doesn't surprise me and uh i i'm not terribly cut up about it considering how wonder woman 84 turned out which by the way we we even discussed on the podcast really early on 
and uh, I I didn't really care for the second one, to be honest. But I mean, it's a long list of things in terms of like what was axed off. And Sammy Boy, you were saying earlier you actually had said list up. Do you mind telling us what some of those examples were? Yeah, just some minor examples. Or oh my god, one second, I don't even know which one's the pinpoint because there's so many. Because you know, two billion dollars worth of shite. Uh -huh. I mean, <laughs> we got about last night. Amsterdam, American Pickle, Aquaman, Kevin Landon, The Cartoon Show, Bigtopia, Beartown, Foreigner. It's just, look, the list goes on and on. Close enough as well, which is a shame because I actually like that show. <laughs> and, and very similar to the signs that maybe the Twitter buyout is backfiring, I'm starting to think that the Discovery Plus buyout was also backfiring. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, there's so much here, and it's just wild. I was surprised that The Flash was not on that list, considering the, <laughs> the, no, no, no. the absolute insanity Ian, of Ezra Ian. Miller. Here's what makes this so much funnier. The ones that haven't been canceled are the ones that have problematic actors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah, no. Uh, oof. Like Jared Leto, um, Ezra Miller. Those, those projects are still safe and running. <laughs> yeah, they're still there. Uh, still going. Yeah, if it has any chance to make his money, even if the actors are horrid, do it. I, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, man. Y you have to wonder if it was, like, really really worth it though just getting rid of all of it like i i would understand maybe some of those shows that you were talking about because some of them i i don't even know about and a aquaman cartoon or whatever I, mm -hmm. maybe that could have been something i was surprised by that one cg animated green lantern show that came out all those years ago but i <laughs> i don't know man like all these other really big ones uh, especially one of which was like a Wonder Twins movie. I, I mean, yes. like, shit. <laughs> those, yeah. those are pretty, uh, pretty big. Yeah, those are, I mean, you can only lose so much, you know? It can only be worth so much. Oh, no, and we're, we're missing out on the TV show of the century. Full Frontal with Samantha B. I mean, look, I'm not going to say everything was a masterpiece at the losing by any kind of imagination. <laughs> <but> still. <laughs> Uh, they canceled the indirect sequel to regular show close enough. Oh, yeah, I like that one. That one was mm -hmm. actually kind of funny. Not great, but so, good. Warner Bros. is out for blood. That's what is up. Oh, they really are just, they're axing everything. I mean, they, they even said that they were uh, announcing, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to be cutting back on, like, the TV shows and series and stuff like that. Some of them aren't going to you know, come to fruition and stuff, and, I mean, I was sitting there, and I'm going, okay, well, don't go too crazy, and then I see this article where it says, oh, yeah, two billion dollars in lost content, all going for a tax write-off. I'm like, okay, fellas, <laughs> you, you went crazy, and you went stupid. <laughs> That's the classic challenge of try to make billionaires pay their taxes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it doesn't sound like they're trying to cut back to be more efficient. They're just cutting back just to cut back, you know? Yeah, they don't like how much money ex is, is being expended. Well, that, yeah. and then there's the whole thing of the tax write-offs and stuff like that. I mean, they're also just going that route, too. I was wondering how healthy it is going to be for them in the long run. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the whole thing for a while was a lot of the new movie and show releases that were coming out on HBO Max, some of which I, I want to tune into uh, alongside, you know, rewatching a bunch of classics that Warner Brothers has in their back catalog. It's just, I, I have to wonder what's going to happen to the platform when they are backpedaling on how much they're actually putting out in content. Because I, I have a feeling it's going to affect how many people are actually going to be tuning into HBO Max and stuff like that. If, if there's nothing new coming out, well then, 
what's the point aside from like um when certain movies have like a theater and streaming service release or when said movie is done with its uh, theatrical run and then comes onto the streaming service i mean i i, I don't find that to be enough because i mean with disney plus i mean they're putting out all their shows they're putting out like all these other things i mean star wars certainly isn't going anywhere and or just wrapped up and now they're talking about what's coming out next there's going to be that acolyte show which sounds like it's going to be the only purely new one to come out in a while which <laughs> high hopes that doesn't you know uh shoot itself wow. in the foot yeah and call mm -hmm. back to last episode they're also doing the uh, studio ghibli stuff which uh i got around to watching and um I mean, it's exactly what you think it is, but yeah, the, no, the, I don't, I figured it is. Yeah, but 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 uh, one thing I will say, kind of calling back to the last episode, is the fact that uh, I thought it was going to be slightly longer. It's only like three minutes. I was just surprised by that. And when I first watched it, I was kind of like, I I don't know if I'm insulted or just indifferent right now. I I don't know. But it's unfortunate, because for all we know, uh, some of these um, Warner Brothers properties that are now axed, uh, they, they could have been another, say, uh, The Suicide Squad, where it's actually like a bit of a hit, and people are like, yeah, more of that, please. And then that gives Warner Brothers a little bit more leeway to like put out content that people will actually like. You know? Because what this essentially means is that they're either not going to have anything coming out for a while, or they have to go from scratch. Yeah, and it's... Ugh. It's a bit of a, uh, uh, a tonal shift, if you will. Speaking of tonal shifts... As if we're transitioning out of the Snyderverse and into the... whatever it is now, Harrison... You had yes. yourself a discussion topic that you wanted to yes, shed some I light do. on. Yes, because, I do. Um, if, we are, if we are transitioning out of the Snyderverse, Ian, just imagine the amazing J.J. Abrams lens flare is just appearing everywhere right now. Uh, so, I, I, I refuse. I refuse. None of that. Please. It's like going from Super Mario Bros. Bad. I, will, I will walk my way over to your recording studio right now, open the door, and lens flare you. You <laughs> no, need to understand that I will do flare this. flare me! Please! I don't want to be flared! <laughs> Yeah, you do. Don't 33 worry. minutes and 50 seconds. Ian. Are you also going right, to bring so... uh, JJ with you and, and have him slap me in the face and say, oh, hey, uh, check it. Um, unless you're a Palpatine or a Skywalker or a Kenobi, you're nothing. Just for you, yes. Uh, time adjustment of 44 minutes and 16 seconds now. <laughs> so, anyways, tonal shifts. Um, one of my favorite things as far as it comes to media is when you sort of look at something on the surface level and it presents itself in a way. And then as you get watching it, there, there's this shift that occurs and then you can really start to appreciate it. And it just it leads to like a subversion, if that makes any sort of sense. And some things do them very well. And other times it's like you watch an entire series, get to the last episode, and then a man in a lab coat appears. And he's like, you are in the Matrix. And then it zooms out of a snow globe and reveals that the hospital was a snow globe the whole time. <laughs> Crazy anatomy. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, Wait, what? Hmm? You what? don't know about the snow globe ending? The snow globe ending? Excuse me? Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Okay, yeah, 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 spoiler discussion. Hang on. I want to just very briefly discuss that. What, what, tell me all about this. I've never heard about this. All right. There's this thing that they always do in stuff, and there was this old hospital show called uh, St. Elsewhere, which was back in, like, 1987. And the way that they decided to end it was it cut away in the last episode and showed a kid in a room looking at a snow globe of the hospital revealing the whole thing is his imagination yep wow <laughs> six seasons <Yeah>. wow <laughs> so so would you say that that is a tonal shift bad that, uh, it's is awful. a bad example it's awful. It's like it's like Call of Duty Zombies level of awful. Oh my. 
which pulls the same okay. shtick. Funny enough. I mean, what's an example of a good total ship for you, then? Uh, my personal favorite, if you are an anime fan, is a show called Poella uh, Magi Madoka Magica. Oh, my. Which Uh-oh. is a <laughs> I think it I- is a magical girl show. So think like Sailor Moon, and it presents itself, heavy spoilers, presents itself as such for the first two episodes. Right? Where they are middle schoolers, and then episode three comes, and one of them dies. And the rest of the show has them dying off one by one and coping with the concept of death. Oh. Yep, that sounds like a. It sounds a. It sounds familiar. I feel like I've heard of this before. Oh, you probably have. Madoka Magic probably have. Heavily discussed animes. It is infamous. Kind of like school days. If I had to pick one of my personal favorites when it comes to good tonal shifts uh it is also an anime it is an anime that you've probably heard of multiple times known as trigun starring the character vash the stampede and the thing about jack trigun (laughs) (laughs) the main character named trigun and his brother trigun himself quattro gun (laughs) And his arch nemesis, Octagon. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, so what, did, no, what but, does but, John uh, Trigun, Trigun do exactly? The, the thing about Trigun yes. is that the whole antithesis of it is that the main character is built up as this highly dangerous outlaw who has a bounty of $60 billion double dollars on him. Which, granted, is not a real currency in real world, but you get the idea. Very big bounty. Because he has this aura of, like, terror around him, where wherever he goes, towns are completely demolished and stuff like that. But what you come to realize is that the man himself is a goof. And almost every time that a town is destroyed, at least from how things play out, it's on pure accident. Not because he is causing it directly, but because the people that chase him for the bounty cause the destruction. But because he's so caught up in the moment and things are happening so quickly, people just believe that he causes it. So you have a lot of these comedic moments where he's either intentionally playing up the terror as a means of comedically getting out of certain situations, or perhaps just general goofs and stuff like that a good portion of the show is light-hearted wild wild west fun until i want to say episode 11 or 12 because that's when his past actually catches up and you start to realize that there's a little bit more to him which granted you get little inklings as you go along but this is the first big reveal that he actually has some baggage and previous demons to take care of and the way things just shift i actually found was uh, very natural uh because again you got little inklings of it here and there like hinting at oh well who really is vash the stampede is he actually a goofball because there's quite a few times where he gets pretty serious and actually demonstrates that he's a highly skilled gunman and stuff like that i think the best way to handle tonal shifts in many cases, is that you give little inklings that, while it's not all sunshine and rainbows, there's some little things here and there that kind of creep up that, you know, kind of ground it in reality and still show that there's a threat. And then once you hit that point of like, yeah, you're in the deep end now, um, that's usually how tonal shifts, to me, turn out the best. If I had to think of a absolutely terrible one, uh, I've beaten them into submission multiple times, but the Star Wars prequels don't know what they want to be. <laughs> At all. <laughs> and I would say also the the sequels kind of get into that too, especially with like the weird Marvel humor in The Last Jedi, but I honestly think the prequels have it even worse, because you have uh, the intro to Revenge of the Sith, where... Anakin and Obi-Wan are having, like, these funny little banter moments. R2's, like, spraying oil on droids and lighting them on fire and having general slapstick shit. 
but then you get to like Count Dooku being beheaded and like Palpatine telling Anakin to like murder a man, and it, it's just like I, it, it, it just it's all over the place. <laughs> it's a Ian, mix I don't of think emotions. Factoring, I don't think you're factoring the best part about those movies is that the entire antagonistic force that's presented is about economic trade warfare. Yeah. <gasps> like, it's this weird duality of serious drama about political groups and economics, and then just, hey, look at him, he stuck his tongue in the electric field. Yup. Uh-oh, Jar Jar stepped in poop. I mean, it's always one thing to have some comedic relief, but it's another if it's overbearing. Yeah. It's all about moderation, really. Yeah, in terms of a movie, I think it does pretty well is Predator, the original Predator. Yes. Because it goes from, like, this action movie to this horror movie when you realize, yeah, these are badass soldiers, but when it comes to that thing that's chasing them down, there's just, you know, there's another hunt. So I think it's a good example of a good one. In terms of a bad one, can't think of, I don't know why I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm sure there's a bunch. Like the ones you guys mentioned, Star Wars says it pretty pretty gnarly. No, I get you. Uh, here's my question. Do you guys have an example of a show or movie where there is a very drastic tonal shift, but you don't know if it actually works? Because I actually have one on mind. And, what, and what I still, yours? to this day, debate whether or not it was handled well. Because it just kind of comes out of nowhere at points. Uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. That's a can uh, <laughs> Yes, it is. I, I know where you're going already. Yeah. Which, don't don't get me wrong. Like, the, 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 the thing that the show makes very clear is that it, it, it is very much about like, really getting into the psyche of its main characters, considering that it's sort of deconstructing the idea of throwing a 14-year-old into the cockpit of a giant robot and expecting them to fight in a war that they want no part of. That's been a trope all over the place, and it actually tries to say, well, how would that actually happen? And I wouldn't say it works well, it's just there are times where it just comes out of nowhere and is so strange that I, I, I still don't know. I don't know. And I've watched Evangelion at least three times now, all the way through. And I will say it's a good show, it's just I, I keep wondering, is it handled well? Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean with Evangelion. It's just, like, parts of it do great, and then other parts, you're just looking at it like, did, did he really need to... Did he really need to do that? Mm-hmm. You know what scene I'm talking about. I don't even need to mention it. <laughs> I'm so fucked up. Uh, no, but yeah. <laughs> sometimes, too, you get tonal shifts that aren't, like, within the same thing, but within a series. Oh, you mean have... like a, like a follow-up that kind of goes in a darker direction and stuff like that? Yeah, like, you know how there's always a thing that people always talk about where it's, like, the grittier reboot of it, or stuff like that? No, I get that. Or Resident Evil going from horror to action. Yeah. But, like, superhero movies got their gritty reboots, um which don't work a lot of the time, I'm going to be honest. No, they don't always. Well, I, I mean, the, the problem is is that there was that long period when uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies were coming out. Every studio thought, oh, so what made The Dark Knight so good is because it was dark, gritty, and edgy. So we just need to make our movies dark, gritty, and edgy. And they were trying to do that with characters that just don't work in that kind of tonality. <laughs> In some ways, there's still a couple movies that come out that just try to be the Dark Knight. And okay, it's just like, well, good. Why, I had, why, why are we still I had to double-check something, Ian, just to make sure. I don't think the Dark Knight was what did it first. No. Because it, it came out in July of 2008. Uh-huh. But on that fateful day of November 15th, 2005, Shadow the Hedgehog 
<laughs> Change the game. The OG Ooh, now that's an interesting reboot. one. So now we're getting into video games. Tonal shifts yeah. in video games. Dude, Shadow the Hedgehog just hits you out of nowhere if you'll get all the Sonic games, and nothing else lines up with it. It's oh, it hits wild. you out of nowhere the second that you boot up the game. My dude, Shadow, literally loads up a machine gun and then cocks it like a shotgun against the backdrop of the moon. <laughs> yes. All while some, like, Linkin Park-esque, like, edgy metal is playing in the background. <laughs> Talking about how yeah, evil no. he is. Yeah, no, it was special. It was special. It was special, and it came out of nowhere. And we love Uh, it for it. Mm -hmm. You know what? That's probably what it is, is when they just come out of nowhere with the twists or, like, the shift, you have no clue what's happening. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, if we can kind of get into one thing, we were talking about gritty reboots. I mean, there's also just certain sequels or side story things that come out in certain series that hit you in the rib cage with some completely different tonality stuff i mean sonic jesus that's a whip that's whiplash yeah Yeah, it's rough adventure 2 in particular like jeez adventure 2 is a work of art i don't know what you're talking about obviously i like obviously okay see I mean, there's also the thing of, I know this is more of a reboot sort of thing, kind of going back on that, but I mean, it is a night and day difference between, say, Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go. (laughs) Yeah, or Thundercats Roar. (laughs) You'd think Tone would be something that people understand how to do well, but often they just don't. They get mixed and crisscrossed, next thing you know, like, if you got a good property that's ruined by the tone, it's just not, it's not going to be good. It can't, you have to get the tone right. Now, mm-hmm. one of my favorite examples, though, Ian, of Tonal Shifts, is actually the movie that I had picked out. Okay. I mean, it makes sense watching it, but at the same time... No, 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 um, no. Well, let me explain here, though. The movie doesn't have the Tonal Shift because it's based on something else, and that's where the shift is. Oh, so this is an adaptation that tonality-wise differs from the source material. Exactly. That's one way to put it. Oh. Basically, the person who made it had died in 1998, uh-huh. and the movie came out in 2001. Okay. Well, that's an interesting little segue into that, because we're talking about tonal shifts when it comes to like reboots and sequels. Adaptations... That's a whole nother thing. And I mean, we've talked multiple times about adaptation and how it should be handled. Tonality, now that I think about it, is another important aspect when you're doing that. And I guess in discussing this movie, given that it sounds like you're somewhat familiar with the source material, we can decide if it, you know, was for the better or if it was for um, a fever dream. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no this movie's wild it is it is the movie is uh cat soup yes cat soup, cat soup. um cat soup. harrison for the sake of yes. uh clarity not only for the audience but also us even though we watched the movie um what the fuck is cat soup <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is cat soup about all right so so okay the name for the thing all right. Uh-huh. Do you know what a, a portmanteau is where you like combine two words together? Kind of. So, like, if you just mix two words together um, to make, like, one bigger word. Basically, it's called cat soup because the manga author used a pen name, which was Nekojiru, which was a mix of the Japanese word neko, being cat, and <laughs> shiru, meaning soup. Ah, okay. They just name stuff after soup. Like, the, the original series they had was called Nekujiru Udon, which is another type of soup. Um, but the, the plot of cat soup is about a... It's about anthropomorphic cats where a younger brother uh, journeys through the underworld to save his older sister's soul after she dies of a fever. 
That is that is the basic plot. And I could tell that's like the basis when I was watching the first I want to say 10 15 minutes. Um but I don't know what the fuck was going on after. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, Harrison, if I had to just ask you one question about this movie. Yes? Is this just supposed to be a fever dream? Is that what this is supposed to be? I mean, I don't want to like make it seem like it, it, it's, it's, it's nothing more than that, because so, very clearly it is. There's things going on. It's just, there came a point in the story where I was watching it, and it was up until the two cats went to that circus... Up until that point, I was able to piece together what was going on. You know, the, the, the one sibling was passing into what could be described as, like, say, the afterlife or something like that. Everything after that, though, I don't know. <laughs> I need your help, Harrison. All right, all right, all right. So let me let me explain it. Well, first, so, uh, b b before we get into yes. that, before we get into that, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Sammy Boy. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what, um, <laughs> what, what? General thoughts? Yeah. In terms of general thoughts, um, it's, this is a movie, which obviously it's a lot better if you know the context of what came before it, most likely anyway. Yes. But in terms of it as a movie without any other context or anything surrounding it, it's a, it's a movie in which not really my style, I'm not super into the surreal shit, mostly because it hurts my brain, but it's something that I'm very happy exists. Because visually, it's really cool. Like if, oh, that, if that's if they do the surreal right and consistent, it's 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 like having a, a, a drug trip when you're not high. You know, that's that's the one I could equivalent it to, with you know a lot of moments of well, inciting moments, if you will, of introspection. <laughs> and it's that's in terms of that, the movie rocks it, man. It it doesn't need a lot of dialogue. It doesn't need a lot of background story to it. It's just you you take what the movie gives you, and what the movie gives you is weird as fuck but also yep. really cool in its own way now i have my own theories on it but i would love to hear harrison's first before i start going into it all right so without getting into the events of the movie first the context behind it okay cat soup is a movie is made in memoriam of the author so this hmm. movie was made in memory of the person who made the characters in it. They had no hand in making the movie. Interesting. Es essentially, the original series that they had, which was Cat Soup Udon, and then the animated one, which would be one second, I'm just I have all the I have the lists. Uh would be uh Nekujira Theater, Cat Soup Theater was the animated TV show. Which uh if you've ever are interested in watching it you'll love it if you like south park and this is where the weird tonal shift comes into play okay because all of the, like the nakajiru series besides this movie are very crude they're bra they're like rash they're violent it's just shock comedy for a lot of it and then if you look at the movie they keep the elements of the violence just appearing. But it's more akin to showing the world being harsh. Okay. And less of, this is a punchline of a joke. Right. A another fun fact of this movie is the two cat characters were actually originally going to be used in an advertising campaign by the Tokyo Electric Power Company. Uh, but when the author passed away, they scrapped that entire uh, campaign. Oh. Yeah. Makes sense, definitely. <laughs> but essentially, to make the movie make sense, all you need to know is the one cat is the older sister, who is a very violent, trash-talking, and vulgar person, and the younger brother kind of just follows suit, idolizing their older sister. The younger brother is the protagonist of the movie, who just is doing everything he can to bring his sister back. And the father in the original series is uh, a piece of work. He he uh, is an alcoholic, and that's pretty much his only like character trait. Hmm. I think at part of it, 
he like takes his yeah no there's specifically the original series part of it he takes the kids hunting and one of them is just having a nice conversation with like an anthropomorphic rabbit and the father just rises out of the bushes behind him with a gun <laughs> oh <laughs> uh. very reasonable i'd say <laughs> obviously it's uh it's a wild show uh you can so, I mean, certainly say that what do you think of the movie with that context in mind, Harrison? When you, do you think it's better that, knowing that is. context? It is okay. with the context in mind because then it makes it feel... It changes the movie a little bit. It's no longer this meaningless, surreal film. You can kind of interpret it as... Well, kind of with how the movie will eventually end, and I'll get to that in a moment. As far as looking at this movie and reflecting on someone's entire work and what happens with the things that they made when they're gone. That's a big thing kind of in the movie is everything fading away over time. And these sort of like hazy memories of stuff. There's a lot of repeating symbols that you get no clarification of what they mean because it's almost like they're forgotten as to why it's important. Hmm. One of the, the big ones for that is all the images of the beach where when you get to the end credits you sort of see this photograph of the family at the beach and the end credits will randomly rewind trying to get like further back in the memory, but it just doesn't have the full thing. So one thing I will say is um, it's interesting with the context of like the, the previous material sort of adding a little bit more to it. Cause obviously I was not familiar with that. So I just came into this blind only being, uh, somewhat aware of the film itself and i will give it credit with one thing i can tell that it's not necessarily meaningless because you brought up an interesting point earlier harrison where uh you know it's a lot more than just uh surrealism for the sake of a joke because i sometimes see a lot of surreal stuff where the joke is oh it's surreal and there's not yep. much beyond that. I can tell there's something beyond the surface level surrealist stuff. It's just for me watching the movie once through and only really watching one other scene, which was the circus scene. Because I felt like the circus scene was the one that really threw me for a loop. And I was sitting there going, what? What just happened? <laughs> that That was the yeah. one that just really threw me for a loop and i had to wonder okay well now what's (laughs) what's going on here you know what i feel like it's time to go into the the big brain analytical what is the deeper meaning yes i think we're gonna bring out our english degrees here so there's there's three things i've noticed in the movie yes and it's death time and circles slash cycles Yes. Obviously, it makes a lot more sense with the context of the original creator dying. Right. And I feel like this movie is almost an acceptance of that. And starting with the first thing being cycles and circles, a lot of stuff's repeated. So the first thing after he get after the brother gets the soul from the Buddha looking mofo is the like he a little picture of a flower. Well, that flower comes back at the very end, and it's the cure to his sister's catatonic state. The whale in the circus which is the, the Great Whale Circus. The, uh, oh God, there was something else. The flower, the whale, which comes back in that crystal lake. The elephant. Scene. The elephant, yes, the elephant, which comes back as a water elephant later. So there's a lot of things that are repeated. And it's, uh, it, to summarize it without going too elaborate, it's, you know, death is a cycle. Life and death, life and death, time moves onward. You can reverse time, sure, but it will always go forward. You know, yeah, it's like the recording at the end in the credits. Yeah, you could reverse time. You could look back. But it doesn't matter. Time moves forward. Like, one of my favorite scenes that kind of encapsulates that, too, is on the scene where they're on the boat, there's part of it where there's the fish, and it just shows this goofy little thing with the fish running and getting cut by a little samurai and then diving in the water. And it's just like, okay, yeah, no, it's kind of funny there. And it's swimming off as a skeleton fish, and then it cuts to, like, a memory of the kid finding a dead fish on the beach and the mom just kind of like hitting him on the back of the head for playing with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of going back to the kind of 
you know, kind of gross roots, not gross, but visceral roots. I mean, you eat stuff, you shit it out. That's yep. life. Very true. <clears throat> very, it's, very it's not true. trying to be pretty. I mean, it's surreal about it, but it's also, it, it says it plainly. And one of my favorite little details, too, with it is the ending of the movie, before the credits at least, ends with a classic scene if you've ever actually had one of those old CRTVs when you turn them off how there's the loud like soup and all, it all zooms into the center mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it does that and it does this first on the dad where he just vanishes with it then the mom then the older sister then it pans out to the kid alone and then the house mm-hmm. it's because... as though the movie itself is a life you just witnessed and now yep. it's come to an end and that's the age. That's the order they'd pass away of old age, because okay. it does it from oldest character to youngest character. Yeah, that's something I didn't think of. That's a nice little detail. Mm-hmm. That was kind of what I was picking up from the ending, like, oh, this, this, this was like an experience, and now, much like any other life, it, it's come to an end. It's just everything in between from the circus <laughs> to then. I was just, oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what's going on here? I'm are, are scared. You, are you talking about the the dude in the leather with the Disney ears on and the scissors? Yes. Yeah, no, that was that, that <laughs> making even, literal that was, cat soup. Yeah, that was kind of my breaking point a little bit. It's like, huh, did he really need the gimp outfit on? <laughs> <laughs> what God. makes it so much funnier is. If you're listening in and have not seen this movie, you have no clue if this is just a skit. But this is no. genuinely in the movie. It is not a yeah. bit. Yeah. What are you guys' favorite, like, visual in the movie? Or I should say set piece, I guess is another way to put it. What's your favorite little part of that? Because mine is definitely the, the red crystal sea with the whale in it. I thought that was so cool. Oh, that great. was a pretty big highlight. I think that was probably mine, too. I was kind of taken Very aback mo- by it. I don't know why. It just gave me a feeling of Moby Dick. I don't know why. Well, obviously the Great White Whale, but I felt, I felt like it was more than that. I'd so I say can't express directly why. My favorite is actually right before that, right when it's during the time rewind. Because you see all of these essentially like horrific events and deaths just in reverse. And then right after that time hits a stop and then it goes into that scene where all of time is frozen and it's this really interesting shift of the reveal that it's the god of the world essentially moving time back and forth to just try to grab an object that's just out of reach without Hmm. any sort of care callous towards the people who were living there he just only wants that object also, the god is the same dude in the circus. It's my other favorite little detail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they depict god in it as the uh, the circus like sta- uh, like head magician. Because, you know, that's what, that's what a little kid would do. You'd see someone perform what you think is magic and go, this person has that power. Yeah, I think the first moment where i was like oh okay that that kind of came out of left field was uh was when the one uh circus performer was like cut up into like <laughs> little slabs of meat and then reassembled i'm like oh 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 okay <laughs> yeah again adding to that almost like god's playful in a way yeah because he's the just movie... a circus performer the movie makes a lot more sense if you look at it as far as this isn't what's literally happening, but how a child would interpret it. I guess, mm-hmm. and I figured that was the way it was going with like how certain uh, characters or creatures sort of react to having certain things af- uh, inflicting them. Like, because one of the first things you see Nyata at one point uh splitting his sister's soul in half and it it looked like a cartoon essentially in terms of how it it was handled the one half stayed on one end and yada kept the other like it was a, a rubber band snapping in half 
So then when it came to this scene and, you know, the performer was being sawed in half, I'm like, okay, so it's going to be like something cartoony looking. No, actual blood is being spilled all over the place. And I'm like, I don't, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I, I think a large part of it is, I mean, it is obviously from the viewpoint of children, but once you really think about it, no one really knows what's after death. I mean, of course, there's religious connotations, but this surrealism, who knows? You know? It could just be a wild Salvador Dali painting after we die. No, that is true. I mean, my other favorite little detail, too, is there's this recurring butterfly. And yeah. the butterfly itself is like a, basically a stylized door hinge in its appearance. Oh, yeah. It's opening the door to the realms beyond. And it makes like the little door squeak noises as it flies. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a weird how it kind of portrays death because it's a light thing and a heavy thing yeah you know, because even god god literally resets the universe to pick up his lost fruit <laughs> yeah so it's it's kind of going back to almost more comedic roots but it's like it's a dark it's darkly comedic like we're all gonna die you know everyone's gonna die there's no exception to that brother sister mother father everyone dies mm -hmm. but maybe there's something darkly comedic in that in that certainty you know why not make a joke out of it Fair enough. Yeah, that's that's basically the movie, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's taking this dark comedy and depicting it this way. Yeah, it's something to follow the creator. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, no heavy recommendation. It's not usually my type of film, but I was I'm incredibly happy I got the chance to watch it and got the chance to even hear about this thing fucking existing. So I I highly <laughs> recommend it. At least watch it once. At least watch it once, even if it's just for the visuals. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's short. A, it's only half an hour, guys. Literally an episode. I was about to say the same thing. My sentiments exactly. I also recommend it almost purely because it is only a half hour. So even if the surrealism puts you off in a way, it's much shorter than the usual movie. And plus, it's not just yeah. surreal for the sake of being surreal, as we've clearly been discussing. There's at least some semblance of meaning from what we have noticed from a lot of it um but it also just looks interesting uh yeah my only question though harrison i don't know if maybe perhaps you yes um know about any of this info is mm -hmm. cat soup another one of those anime that is in like copyright limbo because i'm i'm, I'm looking online and so cat soup gets hard as far as the copyright goes because okay. um trying to think of the best way to put it basically because the actual author is dead okay. that's where it gets tricky right. because she was married um i don't know what he did with the copyright after she passed away but i'd have to do a little bit more digging into that Mm -hmm. It is a little mm -hmm. bit tricky. Well, the reason I ask is because looking online, it looked like the last time that this little short film was given any kind of release was in like 2003. And I figured that was the case because watching the YouTube link that um, we'll, of course, also share because, I mean, if it's free to watch and there aren't any implications or problems with putting yes. it out there the way it is uh might as well just share it the footage looked like it was um like one of those old uh like master tape sort of to dvd things because there were like little bits of like um interlacing act uh artifacts and stuff like that there was like little bits of rainbowing that kind of happens when you have bad deinterlacing stuff and if there was any interlacing, that obviously means it was from an older uh, time when it came to, like, DVD manufacturing. So I figured that it has been quite a long time since it actually had a re-release. Yeah. And it had me wondering I mean, if... Uh, the, most, if... Uh, the most recent re-release, if it does help, is from 2003 with a collector's edition. Uh-huh. Which funny enough it actually has a liquid on the inside cover so it's a liquid cover oh 
Interesting. It's like a hundred dollars. It's it's oh. expensive. <laughs> oh damn. Okay. Good lord. So I don't know. I'm just imagining if like they were to re-release it, they'd like maybe release it in higher resolution on like a Blu-ray or something. Maybe. I'd have to track down and see who actually owns the copyright and see what's going on with it, really. Yeah, because I mean, I was looking all over the place to see if it had a re-release in like higher resolution, and it seems to fall into that camp of um, like early 2000s digital animes. Kind of like in the same boat of Interstellar 5555, where um, it just hasn't really been re-released in any better form in a while. I know there was a Blu-ray of Interstellar, but it was a pretty bad one, which was just a really shitty upscale, and it wasn't even, like, de-interlaced. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lord. not that great of quality. Uh, and I assume that there might be some upscales that fans have made of this somewhere. Um, but, I mean, upscales can only do so much. This 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 is one of those... You know, little short films that deserves to be re-released in a proper, like, modern trapping. Because, I mean, it looks good. The actual frame-by-frame animation is fantastic. It deserves it. But, yeah. That's been our little inciting moment. Inciting moment. On Cat Soup. Now! Watch it. Yes, it. indeed. Watch it. You might as well. Eat the cat it's... soup with your eyes. Yes! <laughs> Seep it through your pupils! You don't only eat cats in China, baby. It's global. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We're going further beyond. Even <laughs> further beyond! Yeah. <laughs> so what's the next thing? Well, that's a good question. Good. I have a recommendation. Well, there we go. Sammy Boy, what's your recommendation? Uh, it's a movie I just literally watched by random chance. A little film that's also in Japan. Oh, There's a nice little you know tangent there. Uh, Bullet Train, starring Brad Pitt. Oh, okay. I actually oh, yeah. have not gotten around to watching that. So we're talking action movies, and we're talking about action movies on ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. You'll you'll see it when you watch it, boys. It's uh, okay. Well, that's interesting. This is a more recent release, too, so... I will only give one spoiler. I hope you guys like Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, t- Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh? Train oh. Engine. Yes. You know I do. Good, because uh, it's a major plot point, but we'll save that for next <laughs> time. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, there we go. Until then, uh, we will tune back in to give our thoughts on that film. In the meantime, everybody... Stay chill, and we'll see you on the next episode. It has been the adventures of Mr. Incompetent and Blunderman. Indeed! Wonder what, I mean, man. Cue the uh, bad Nirvana cover.